Anyang Aseo, welcome to Afternoona Delight. We are Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the Hallyu wave all the way to shore? So grab some deck bookie and listen to your new favorite unis. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hey there. So I have a little story I wanted to share with both of you. In my day job, I work in student affairs at the local University of California up the street. And I do a lot of work with students. And let's see, two days ago, I was in my late night Monday meetings going through different programs and events that are coming up with the students. And one of them was sharing, they live in LA, that they had a celebrity sighting. And it was new for them because A, they hadn't really been out since COVID. And B, even though they live in LA, they don't often see celebrities. And so, you know, they piqued my interest. And I was like, tell me more about that. And they were like, so I was at this cafe and Nicolas Cage walked in. And so I don't know what is happening, but I feel like Nicolas Cage has become like this mascot for the podcast. And now Nicolas Cage is like infiltrate. And so I just started laughing to a point that they weren't really sure. And then she's like, what? I really like face off. And then I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> they would be and, friends with me. Basically. Yeah, she dropped a, like a very grainy photo she'd taken over her shoulder, and sure enough, there was my arch nemesis, Nicholas Cage, <laughs> on his phone like an a hole in a restaurant. <laughs> and now I just feel like somehow the universe is punking me, and something like I feel like I'm going to get contacted. Honestly, I was like, oh my gosh. I wonder if I'm going to get like contacted by my agent who's going to be like, look, I have a ghostwriting opportunity for you. And it's going to be like a Nicolas Cage, like fiction something. I don't know. I just feel like there's something and he's haunting me now. It is absolutely hysterical that of all the celebrities in LA, <laughs> your students like, I saw Nick Cage. Like, I don't even, I, I don't, it's not like I think he's super social or anything. Like, but so I mean, you know, he's like think- a TikToker or something who's always out. It's Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I think that we should change our logo for our podcast to just Con Air, like mullet, Nicolas Cage. Like, that's our new logo. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I apologize, Nicolas Cage, if you ever do tune in to the show. Like, I don't dislike many people and I, I'm, sh- I don't know. I mean, I'm sorry. But I just you, don't, I but don't you like you. Okay. Just like deal with it. Okay. I don't know no. why. She doesn't Nick? even like your voice in the croods. No, there's nothing about you I like, and I don't know why. I think in a past life, like, you must have, like, murdered me or something because I just have it out for you. God, leave he leave Lee alone. Yeah. He took your face in a past life. He did. So anyway, moving on, I just had to drop it. Let's just get the Nicolas Cage out of the way early in this episode. Right, because he was going to appear at some point, because that's just what happens. He's in my synopsis now. I should take him out. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into it. Unrequited love. Most of us have experienced it in some form. And for those of us obsessed with that K-drama life, this is something we have too much experience in. It's rib-cutting pain. It makes us scream at screens until our loved ones think we've gone bananas. It's lying in bed at night feeling sorry for a fictional character. That's right. Today, we are talking about those second male leads who lose out on love. These are the guys who exist to remind us that getting to a happily ever after isn't as easy and that sometimes life doesn't go our way no matter how hard we try. So why do you love second male leads? How do K-drama second male leads get different treatment than our romance novel characters? So I love the second male lead pain. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't love pain, but I love the second male lead pain just because I feel as if they always seem to be a little more interesting than the leads for some reason. And even when I'm rooting for the main romance, there's just, I don't know what it is, but K-drama writers tend to just write really awesome second male leads for some reason, like torture us. But I think for me, what sticks out is that as a romance writer, something that often I think that we tend to do is do a lot of series. And so it's pretty common that we might have a second male lead in a book, but they're basically, you know, sequel bait for upcoming, like the next book in the series. And so they might lose out on love with the heroine, but like, we're still going to get to like reconcile them and they're going to become the hero of their own story. And so in K-drama, we don't get that safety net. And I just feel like it's living on the edge and it makes the pain just like so much more. (laughs) I do agree with you. Like, I like the pain too, but 
I also appreciate the dramas that do give the second male lead a happily ever after because sometimes they do get it. And so I like having that pain, but also knowing that that character is going to get something in the end. And we, you know, we have seen that a number of times, but we've also seen the total opposite where the second male lead pines for the heroine who we know is never going to go for him because she's going to go for the, you know, the first lead. And that is just that's more pain than I want, I think. Like, I like the pain of unrequited love, but with the promise that somewhere down the line, they're going to get what they deserve. And so, yeah, ditto what you said about romance novels is I've never thrown in a side character that I didn't someday want to write a whole book for. Everybody is sequel bait for me. And so in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, well, this person's going to eventually get their happily ever after. And so I feel okay if I put them through the ringer a little bit, you know, in somebody else's book, they're going to get a reward eventually. Yeah, I think romance novels are what made me love Second Male Lead so much because I I love series. And I love especially like Band of Brothers type series where, you know, there's going to be like a big group of single men. And then along the way, each gets their happily ever after with really cool women. And so... I always see second male leads as sequel bait, and that's what I like. And in K-drama world, there always seems to be this yearning in the second male lead storyline, even if it's not for the heroine or it might be for like another woman. But there's always this yearning aspect that seems so much stronger than the main lead. Like even take a goblin, for example. There was just this like heartbreaking yearning for this like woman that Reaper knew in his past and well not his past life his well yeah past life he's been a lot well yeah but he's been he's been around the whole time it's complicated yeah he's been around (laughs) back in his mustache or (laughs) pre-mustachioed yeah it's mustachioed days yeah so i guess that's just what always draws me to second male leads and i think we've said we said this in last podcast but i just wish they would do more like like giving the second male leads stories so on today's podcast, we're going to do things a little differently. The show is called Second Male Lead SOS. And here's the deal. Each of us have selected a second male lead who does not get the female lead or their own heroine at the end of the drama. However, they are absolutely wonderful. And we as professional romance authors need them to get a well-deserved happily ever after or HEA. So we're coming to the rescue, tossing a life ring to our favorite second male leads, putting them front and center with a love interest and story that we think they deserve. Each of us has selected a second male lead that lives rent-free in our mind. We'll talk a bit about why they got under our skin and then share how we'd like to see their story unfold. And before we get to it, a few friendly reminders. Make sure to subscribe wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review as it helps with our discoverability. A few of you have been doing that and we are so very grateful. Also, follow us on Instagram at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for all the show ratings that don't make it on the pod, book recs, behind-the-scenes fun, and generally shameless fangirling. And if you want to message us about anything you heard on the show, email us at AfternoonAdelightPodcast at gmail.com. Now let's get to it. We have some second male leads to the rescue. Please note, spoilers shall abound for She Was Pretty, Her Private Life, and My Love from Another Star. Okay, so I'm going first. If you listen to our last podcast, you know that we talked about Her Private Life, which starred Park Min Young and Kim Jae-wook. And I talked a lot at the end about how much I love the second male lead. At the end? You talked the whole way (laughs) through. (laughs) That's a good point. Okay, so I talked the entire podcast about my dear, dear lovely Nam Eun-gi, who's played by An Bo-hyun, who I'm just in love with. He was recently in Itawan class, which I talked about that last, last podcast too, but he just really stuck out for me. He was fantastic. So who is Nam Eun-gi? Let's talk about that first. So in her private life, he is the adopted, I guess, kind of adopted brother of the heroine, Duck Mi. His mother gave birth to him at the same time Duck Mi's mother did in the same hospital. I mean, this is K-drama, so you know, it's a little weird. As a young single mother, she didn't think she had the ability to care for him. So he was kind of quasi adopted by Duck Mee's parents. So he was raised as her brother, even though they're not related. Except he is a hot judo champion and instructor who no longer sees Duck Mee as his sister, but as a woman, a woman he loves. But Duck Mee is falling for Ryan Gold, the director of the art gallery, where she's a curator. So realizing that he's losing the woman he loves spurs Ungi into two scenes, which might be my favorite of all time. And I don't care that I talked about it last podcast. I'm doing it again. His sad slow-mo shower, which is so incredibly female gaze for a K-drama. 
Like, it's not even funny, but I don't care. I love it. I could watch the water run in rivulets down his pecs and muscled abs all day. So then he puts on a suit and he strides off to confess his love. But since he's not the hero of her private life, we all know how that goes. He gets rejected. But I was honestly rooting for him the whole time. He was sweet, very attractive. He has great banter with the heroine. And I did love how he was fiercely protective of her and her secret because her big secret is that she's a k-pop idol fangirl and really only he knew and like her best friend and he really was protective of her secret with everyone i mean he kept threatening to tell people but y'all knew he wasn't going to so i think the show did him dirty about giving him a love interest i mean he had clear goals in my opinion that were implied or expressed in the show and we didn't get to see them fulfilled so <clears throat> that's not meant to be edited <laughs> I will leave it in. So here's the deal. I got the idea for his story. Uh, so in, in her private life, he, like I said, he's a judo instructor. He's the director of a, of a gym. And I love the scenes where he had to interact with the son of Duck Me's friend while he taught judo. And then the son happens to be Blackie from Tale of Nine-Tailed. So he's like incredibly adorable with his little floppy bowl cut. And he did those like little practice falls and it was so cute. But anyway, Namungi was clearly very, very good with children, in my opinion. And that's why I decided to go with what I did. So I gave him a single mom heroine. Okay, guys, you ready? Ready. Okay. So... The SOS is independence at last. So Ungi really wants to quit holding onto the past. So Duck Me has obviously moved on and so should he. So in her private life, he either sleeps at his like parents' house, which are Duck Me's parents. Um, <laughs> because it's, it's incest light. Yeah, but it's like weird because they keep inviting other people over and letting them sleep in his room. Like he doesn't really have a home towards the end. He doesn't. He, yeah, he sleeps in a tent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in his gym. Yeah, and at one point he gets, like, drunk with Ryan Gold's friend, and they both, like, uh, there's nothing, like, happens. But, like, she, I I can't believe that she's like, yeah, sure, I'll come back to your tent in your gym. <laughs> like, it's like, like, poor Ungi cannot get laid if he's sleeping at a tent, in a tent, in a Well, I mean. It probably smells really like it probably smells like feet in there. <laughs> it probably does. But you know what? I think that any of us would be like, I guess. I still would. I still would. But that's <laughs> the point. So in my SOS, he wants his own place or at least his own bed, even if he has to have a roommate. So he's looking to make extra income, but isn't finding any luck. But that's his main goals. He wants to be able to like be on his own, essentially. So he teaches children's classes, judo children's classes, and they're really cute in their little outfits. I don't know what they're called. In Taekwondo, they're called geese. They're geese. Oh, in judo too? Okay. So they're so cute in their little geese. And there's one boy, Jun Hyuk, who is always in the back and he's very shy and timid and Ungi tries to draw him out of his shell and even gets like a smile from the kid every once in a while. So one day the class is over and no one is there to pick up Jun Hyuk. He calls the emergency contact number, gets no answer. So he sets up his tent <laughs> as one does and he lets the kid stay with him figuring someone will come get him soon. Or that maybe he's adopted him forever because it's a K-drama and he's like, maybe this is just my child now. And like, it's, her private, it's her private life, too. So he's learning from his past. You can just keep a kid. If, if you find one, it's yours. Yeah, anyway, I mean, he, he, he knows from experience. You just keep a kid if you find them. Yeah. So on the other end of town, I guess, other end of Seoul. <laughs> Park Jin is having a bad day. Her boss at her supposedly part-time job at a local cafe kept her late and she lost track of time. So she knows Jun Hook's judo lesson was over two hours ago and she has tried to call the gym, but she isn't getting an answer. So she rushes. If you're a, a parent and you know what this is or ever had to take care of a kid where like, you know, you're late and you feel really frazzled and you're like, have nervous sweat and you have to like run into a place to pick up your kid because you're late. I've had that happen. Anyway, she rushes inside to find her son sitting on the floor cross-legged near the tent eating instant noodles with his instructor, which is Ungi. And she's really only seen him in passing. And obviously she's like, this guy's hot. Or in Korea, they would probably be like, oh, I don't know. They wouldn't say it like that, but we're American. So she's exhausted and stumbles on a mat. Okay, because this is K-drama world. And mm -hmm. Ungi catches her and then helps her sit down. He can see that she's tired and he gives her noodles and Jun Hook, meanwhile, is talking about his day at school, which surprises Janae because he's normally very reserved. So a little background on Janae. She and Jun Hook live with her ex-husband and his parents. So her ex-husband is very mild-mannered, but his parents are very overbearing. And one of the main reasons for their marriage crashing and burning is that his parents don't really like her and he never stood up for her. 
But at the point, she can't move out. Like, she doesn't have room to get her own place with Jun Hook. She can't afford it on her barista salary. So most of her friends are already married and don't have room for her. She's been eyeing an apartment nearby, and the cost is too much. So as she's sitting on the floor eating noodles with her son and Ungi, she asks him what the tent is for. And he tells her that he's looking to get an apartment but is saving up money. And instead of judging him, she tells him about an apartment she likes and he suggests they room together. But of course, she's <gasps> shocked because that's not appropriate. I learned in Fight for My Way that the landlord didn't allow them to have opposite sex sleepovers. So he stumbles over his words saying he didn't mean anything by it. And she tells him she's not that desperate. She immediately regrets her words because he seems wounded because it's kind of mean, you know. But she's been she's tired and upset and the word slipped out. So she leaves with Jun Hook, who overheard the whole thing. And on the way home, he asks why they can't live with Ungi because Ungi is nice to him and never makes him feel stupid for talking. He's nice to Jun Hook. So when she returns home, of course, her ex-in-laws are jerks. And as always, her ex-husband remains silent. And that night she lies in bed and she's terrified that her ex-in-laws will take Jun Hook away from her. So she's determined to kind of get her life in order. And so she has to suck it up. So the next day she gets up and she puts on a little more makeup than usual and some of her nicest clothes. And she marches back to the judo gym to apologize to Ungi. Of course, of course we have to have this. She goes searching for him <laughs> and he's changing in his office. Okay. Cause we have to get Ungi's like pecs and abs in this again. Yes. He's, we not, do. he's not wet, but like it's good enough. And so she sees him shirtless and awkwardness ensues. And with her eyes covered, she tells him that she's sorry for what she said yesterday, that she was just surprised and that she's interested in rooming with him. He asks if she realizes she was that desperate and she looks at him with tears as he's still shirtless and answers that, yes, she's desperate. But instead of getting offended this time, he's on alert because he's like, why is she desperate? And he's worried and he kind of feels protective of her, but she avoids all her questions. Just really quickly, can one of her tears land on his bare chest and then like trickle down slowly? Please. Please. Okay. That would make the scene better. <laughs> so feeling protective, he takes her hand after he puts on his shirt and they go to the rental office and get the apartment. But in order to rent it, he poses as her brother. <laughs> because it's fake incest now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's, he's like doing the reverse now. So as they navigate living together, she keeps her distance mostly because she worries about Jun Hook becoming too attached to Ungi, but it's a little late for that because he is attached. And she also doesn't want the landlord to find out that they are, in fact, not related. So as time goes by, they get to know each other. Their goals align because they're both trying to, like, be independent from their past, essentially. They learn each other's habits. And obviously, Ungi is like a great role model for Jun Hook. And he's been more outgoing. So Jun Hook is also excelling at judo and Ungi enters him in a few competitions. And the first one, he fails because he's really overwhelmed at the noise in the crowd and he expects Ungi to be angry with him for failing but Ungi explains that everyone's kind of bad at first and so is he and he says I don't want you to quit but I'll support you if you do but I think you should just keep trying and so Jun Hook gathers his courage the little boy and says okay I will keep trying and Ungi is very protective of Janae so he stands up for her at work and he also stands up for her to her ex-in-laws and in doing so she also learns how to stick up for herself in a way that she hadn't before and then living with Janae, Ungi feels like he finally found a family and a reason to strive to be a better person. And the more he gets to know Janae, the more he realizes he's falling in love with her. When the landlord catches them sharing their first kiss, they're kick <laughs> she kicks them out immediately. And they have no Does she know that <laughs> like yeah. I, I wanna know, like, did she think that she's stumbling into like straight incest or does she realize she's been duped i think she realizes she's been duped okay so they have no choice but to sleep they have to return back to like where they were they have to go back to the gym and sleep in a tent they have nowhere to go that night and he thinks janae will be upset and angry with him for not being able to provide for her but instead she really finds the whole situation funny and she tells him they'll figure it out as long as they're together because they're better together Aww. and it happens the next day is Joan hook's big competition and so after sleeping on a gym floor in a tent they go to the competition and he fights hard and he wins his age group i don't really know like how the matches work so i'm just gonna say he wins yay gets a medal or trophy or whatever <laughs> and he surprises everyone including the owner of the judo gym who credits Ungi with the success of jun hook and gives him a raise plus allows him to teach more younger classes because that's obviously where Ungi excels so armed with more money and confidence Ungi pulls on his suit <laughs> yay and the same suit the same yep, suit same suit because he's only got the one. Yeah. <laughs> the only one. <laughs> and proposes Janae. They find a, a new apartment now as an engaged couple. Janae takes a secretary job at the judo gym and they live happily ever after. H-E-A-S-O-S. -S, done. Boom. Hooray. 
Okay, quick question though. Before he puts the suit on, does he take a happy shower? This time, yeah, this time he takes a happy shower. Okay, good. with a happy ending. No, <laughs> a happy shower. <laughs> so that was, I just need to tell her, that was so fun for me to do. I wrote most of it for like I always write my plots out longhand in a notebook and I had so much fun and then I started typing it and I was gonna like make it a lot shorter so I'm sorry but I got so excited I just kept going so that's why it's so long well having watched her private life I feel very cathartic right now for Ungi right don't you think he would be so good with a single mom amazing he would be amazing he's great with kids I love that for him oh oh my god he was so cute with the little kids I can't take it he's so good with them I'm glad that you guys think I gave Ungi a happy ending because I think that he deserved it love love that journey for him yay and now it's time for our favorite segment of the week it's our K merch rec from Amy So this week, I am going to be taking you all to kdramagear.com. And this is basically a merchandise website with everything K-drama that you can think of. You've got everything from mugs, it's okay to love K-drama without splitting the infinitive. (laughs) There's a mug training for my K-drama marathon, which I think we've all experienced many times before. You can get a t-shirt or a sweatshirt with your very favorite, you know, K-drama finger heart that says Serengay underneath it. Or my favorite page is they have a Nuna Nation page. Yes. (laughs) You can get a Nuna Nation t-shirt. You can get an Ajuma Nation t-shirt. You can get a Young Nation t-shirt, phone case. You can get it on a mug. But I am totally down for a Nuna Nation something or other. Although I think I'm more approaching the age of Ajuma. I'm not going to admit it yet. But anyway... For all your fun K-drama needs, head on over to kdramagear.com. They ship worldwide. Shipping items is free if you make a $50 order or more. So again, that is kdramagear. We do not get any sort of sponsorship from these companies that we share with you. They are just places that we have found fun merchandise or skincare or music or whatever that we just want to share with you. So kdramagear.com. Love it. I want to get a Nuna Nation t-shirt. For sure. (laughs) Okay, so mine is is a little bit different because neither of you have actually watched this drama. So I feel like that's a little bit of a unique challenge because the second male lead that has gotten to me most is a character from the drama She Was Pretty. So who I want to talk about today as my SOS hero is the character of Kim Shin Hyun, who is played by the actor Choi Suwon, who is known, this is another one of these words that I know how to read it, but not say it, mononymously <laughs> as Siwon. So essentially Siwon is like beyond say like he's that name (laughs) like he's just that name and he is a former idol from the k-pop band super junior and a model and now an actor so one of those i did oh he's from super junior no way they just had a comeback yeah he's like the main or he was like one of like the most popular super junior members oh that's awesome okay okay so since you have not seen this drama let me just do a little recapping of like some of the reasons why i love him so much so kim shin hyun is a senior features editor at most, which is South Korea's second most popular fashion magazine. And that's a big deal throughout the course of the drama, because essentially they are going to get closed down if they cannot become the most popular fashion magazine. So his character is very free spirited, straightforward, incredibly funny, and just like office prankster. But he also seems to be hiding a mysterious identity that they allude to. Like, for example, he lives in a baller hotel suite that seems a lot nicer than what a senior features editor should be able to afford. So he is the drama heroine, Hyjin's direct supervisor at work. And in fact, we learn that he angles to get her moved from her team to his because she had been originally kind of in more of like an administration role. And he brought her in to work in editorial and they develop a close relationship. And he calls her Jackson because when he first met her, she was wearing white socks, black shoes and short black pants like Michael Jackson. And they have this really sweet, cute meat, like the best cute meat much better than like her rekindling with the lead where they're outside the magazine office building and he is throwing a piece of gum into the air to catch it in his mouth, but he misses and it hits him in the eye. And he's like totally 
like a funny goober. So he's all like, oh, my eye. And while he's doing that, he accidentally trips up the heroine who's rushing for the front door to be in time for her first day of work. And she eats shit. Like she falls down hard <laughs> on the concrete. It's not like a cute trip and he catches her. She goes flying and like thuds. And I rewatched it. was like, oh, like that really looks like it hurts. But when she's on the concrete, she looks up and she sees the piece of white gum and it kind of looks like a chiclet or like a tic tac. And she immediately thinks that she's knocked a tooth out because it's pure white. <laughs> and so she starts like covering up her lips or her teeth with her lips. And she's like panicking and trying to like not have him look at her. And it's really endearing. And I think at that moment, he just totally falls for her. So mm. how does his sad story end in the drama? And again, I apologize. It's just I feel like I need to give some context to the drama. Of okay. course. So near the end of the drama, he publicly outs himself as the famous reclusive author known only by the pen name of Ten. And it turns out that he began writing online in high school and got publishing interest, but people wanted to use the fact that he was an adopted Korean kid as a marketing gimmick and control his ideas. So he grew up in America as like an adopted child. And the irony is definitely not lost on him that the only way he can write his books freely was to hide his identity, but this was always totally his choice. So he gives the most editor most is the fashion magazine. He gives the most editor-in-chief an exclusive feature interview outing himself to save the magazine. Because remember, it needs to come in first in sales for the month to stay in business. And more specifically, he's motivated to save the heroine's job, even though she's in love with the editor-in-chief, who is played by Park Seo Joon, who I like a lot. So it's saying a lot why the fact I'm rooting for the second male lead over Park Seo Joon's character. So then after having saved the magazine, saved everyone's jobs, saved the heroine's like, like career, he walks off into the sunset after wishing her the best because even though he tried to get her to choose him, she chose her first love, who's the editor in chief. And we have this little glimpse of him off hiding in Europe in this like grungy youth hostel because he's avoiding the South Korean media circus about revealing that he's 10. And he's writing and traveling and he's playing jokes. And basically there's another South Korean kid who walks into the room and is like, you look like 10. And he ends up playing a joke on him and like throwing a plastic spider at him and like deflecting. And then in the final episode, we see the heroine picking up his new book, which he had dedicated to his best friend, Jackson. So, okay. So for a second male lead, they gave him like a pretty a huge story. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that sounds like I'm telling you. <laughs> like, I'm kind of bothered. I'm like, that, that I sounds like, like a lead story. I was just going to say, like, I'm thinking, what the heck was Park Seo Joon's character's yeah, what story? Was he doing? Like, he was. So it's called She Was Pretty because when they were childhood best friends, he was a very overweight young boy and she was a very beautiful young girl. And that was it. They She was nice to him and like kissed him once under an umbrella. And then when she gets this job at most and they bring in the new editor in chief. She realizes it's her old friend, but now she doesn't. Basically, their fortunes reverse in that she's apparently now unattractive, although all she does is have curly hair and red cheeks. And he is like Park Seo Joon, so he's like a total stud man now. And he does not recognize her. And then she ends up putting forward her best friend, who's gorgeous, pretending to be her. And then they kind of like date. I mean, it's a mess. I don't even know. Like, it's a convoluted mess on like the lead side (laughs) which is i remember when you watched this and how like how strong your reaction was like right when you watched it too like yeah just listening to this i'm like i don't it's the convention of the whole first love thing which don't get me wrong that's one thing that i love but when you do so well with building the second lead and show that he clearly deserves her because he loved her for who she was type of thing you know i don't know and, she, was, and he's the one who saved everyone in the end? He's the like, one who, yeah, he gives up his secret identity and becomes, like, basically is like, yes, it is me. I am the super famous author so that you can have, like, an exclusive feature story. And, like, now I'm going to lose my privacy forever. And that's okay because I like you all so much. <sighs> Gosh. Oh, Leah. No wonder you'd get no I feel like you need to both fun. watch it because as much as I gave it a two star for being angry, it is a good drama. I just like mm-hmm. this really did. This was a choice that pissed me off to like my bones. Yeah. So no wonder. Okay. Well then I'm like invested and I haven't even seen the drama. I so know. I know. I'm ready to hear about okay. it. Okay. Let's hear his story. So little Shin Hyuk. Okay. So remember like last we saw him, he was like backpacking through Europe. So I gave him a story that I'm calling from rain to rainbows. 
<laughs> with the tropes of forced proximity, opposites attract, and faded mates. So I decided to have him visiting his adoptive parents in the USA before flying back to South Korea to negotiate the terms for his next book deal. On the turbulent flight, he repeatedly tries to make friendly chit-chat with the pretty flight attendant who has to keep returning to her jump seat across from him. So in the drama, he is like a huge talker. Like he makes conversation with everyone. He's always joking around. He always wants everyone to be happy. And, you know, you always say that I'm the kind of person that people open up to. He kind of has that vibe of like, he just wants to hear people's stories. So mm. this flight attendant keeps offering obligatory smiles once in a while, but he can see that the smile never quite reaches her eyes. So for him, it's challenge accepted. He tells her that it's his goal for the flight to make her truly giggle. Senior flight attendant Rachel Moon isn't in the mood for fun and games from a handsome, albeit scruffy stranger. That's the other thing. He has a lot of facial hair a lot of the time. It's rare he's clean shaven. He usually has like scruffiness. The weather is bad due to a tropical storm and the passengers are grumpy because the meal service is postponed. A customer service smile with perfectly applied red lipstick, of course, may be a job requirement, but inside she just isn't feeling it. When she was younger, her working class parents used to take her near the airport to have picnics and watch the planes take off. Ever since, she's wanted to fly high and see the world. Being a flight attendant has also let her avoid the fact that she no longer has a place to call home and allows her to bounce from one anonymous hotel room to another. The job has been a dream come true until just recently. After complaining about the pilot getting handsy during their last layover, it appears her plans might be permanently grounded. It turned out the pilot is well-connected as the only nephew of the airline's CEO and has a history of, of getting harassment complaints swept under the rug. It's Korea, so it's all about the connections. Yep. So Rachel's heading back to Seoul where she's expecting to be taken off the schedule. At least that's what her worried coworkers have whispered will be her fate. Then there's a bang. Uh-oh, the plane's been struck by lightning. The lights yes. go out. People are screaming. And one older woman is in full, we're all going to die hysterics. <laughs> Shin Hyuk starts singing, here comes the sun, even as the plane drops and <laughs> oxygen bags drop out of the ceiling. The flight attendant, though, has a strange reaction to the song almost as if it's a painful memory, but he has his hands full just trying to keep the peace. So we have the pilot, a.k.a. Mr. Hansey, coming on the loudspeaker to say that they're going to have to make an emergency landing in Hawaii. They land safely in Oahu, but the tropical storm has been upgraded to a hurricane. The plane was the last one to land at the airport, and the crew and passengers are taken to a Waikiki hotel to ride out the worsening storm. I saw that there's like a convention of a lot of different dramas set in Waikiki, hence my inspiration here. Really? There is, okay. yeah. There's like, I've been wanting to check them out having lived in Hawaii, but there's like at least three I can think of. So on the bus, Shin Hyuk can tell that Rachel is nervous, but learns it's not about the plane scare. She trusts aero engineering. It's the coming storm. Nature is more unpredictable, and we see through flashbacks that her parents died in a car crash during a thunderstorm with a teenage Rachel trapped in the back seat. So Shin Hyuk tells her a long convoluted story that annoys but also distracts her on the bus ride. Then we've got our antagonist, who's going to be the smarmy pilot. He's spoiled and he's used to getting what he wants. And in this case, it's Rachel. He thinks he's going to make her see reason and seal the deal. So Shin Hyuk might have a ready smile and an easygoing personality, but he doesn't miss a thing. And once they're in the hotel, he takes it upon himself to guard Rachel's room under the guise of pretending to be agonizing over vending machine choices whenever the pilot pokes out and kind of like tries to like go <laughs> around the room. The storm worsens. Inside Rachel's room, there's the sound of breaking glass and a scream. Kim Shin Hyuk and the smarmy pilot reluctantly join forces to break down the hotel door. And inside, Rachel is cowering with copious amounts of blood coming from a few minor scratches. A palm tree has crashed into her room. We could have copious. Yeah, we could have buckets of head blood. It's really just up to you. But, you know, there is no hospital visit with a humidifier in the card. So I wasn't sure if I should go full buckets of head blood. But, you know, there's lots of blood from the, the window smashing in. So she has nowhere safe to go. The hotel is fully booked and devolving into chaos. The smarmy pilot's about to offer up his room, but Kim Shin Hyuk beats him to the offer. Rachel accepts, but only after warning him not to try anything. She doesn't believe in fate and isn't interested in love. She won't ever risk losing anyone important to her ever again. So Shin Hyuk lets her know that's fine. He's still hung up on his last love. And Rachel sees a glimpse of the deep pain beneath his easy smile and recognizes a kindred spirit. These are two people who smile to cover up their deep inner wounds. So during the course of the hurricane and the aftermath, which leaves them stranded together for another week in paradise, these two lonely strangers come together in trying circumstances that force them to open up. 
all while, of course, confounding the antagonistic pilot and his shenanigans. Rachel eventually shares the painful story of the car accident that took her parents when she was a teenager. And Shin-hyuk realizes, dun-dun-dun, he was the one who pulled her from the car to safety while visiting yes! South Korea with his adoptive parents. And of course. saying her, here comes the sun, to keep her calm while the paramedics tried and failed to save her parents' life. She is shocked, revealing that she has a secret tattoo of a sun on her shoulder as a memory of that moment. Yes! <laughs> and that's when Shin Hyuk startles her by unbuttoning his shirt. And we see he has a small tattoo of a sun on his heart as he's Stop! always wondered what happened to the girl. And then we have a non-fish-eyed kiss. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't want to follow that. Yeah. So Rachel learns to accept receiving care after being on her own for so long because she definitely raised herself and paid her own taxes, but only since she was 16 and to rely on someone else. And Shin Hyuk is finally able to be honest about the pain of his recent heartbreak and put that away once and for all. And together the couple learns that there can be no rainbows without some rain, but that's what makes life so precious. So in the end, the pilot ends up in some sort of public scandal that even his uncle can't cover up. It's curtains for him. He's the one grounded, and Rachel is offered a promotion to being a first-class flight attendant. Then we have a time jump one year later to a cozy apartment in Seoul. Shin Hyuk is typing the end on a book right as the door flies open, and Rachel comes in in her flight attendant outfit. They look at each other and smile real and warm, and Shin Hyuk says, you're home, before wrapping her into an embrace. I love it. That's amazing. I want to watch that or read that or something. I love it. 100% Thank I you. I feel or watch it. I feel very cathartic about giving him that. And it would be like a short, like I'm thinking like a 12 episode or <laughs> no, I totally I get it. it. I felt cathartic too, writing mine. Like it feels so cathartic to give like a beloved character like happiness. You know, like I'm like, I don't even know if people want to necessarily listen to this, but I really got a lot out of doing too bad. this. <laughs> too bad, people. We're doing it. So, okay. So here I'm going to give a slight disclaimer now with mine because I love both of yours. I did not write a full story like the two of you did because I am the type A person in the group and I need specific directions. Also, I would like to let listeners know that I work in education and I went back to school this week, full time, full days, back in the school, back in the classroom. That's, okay. That's my clapping. So yes, I'm clapping. Yay for that. Yes. So because of that, I wanted to get my second male lead SOS done over the weekend because I knew I would have no time this week before we recorded. And so I need specific directions for the assignment. And so I asked Megan and Leah, how much are we going to do for this? Because I don't want to underdo it and I don't want to overdo it. And they said, you know what? We're going to riff a little bit, but also maybe put together like some bullet points. And so... Fuck you both. <laughs> I just love that independently, Megan and I both were like, we must write this entire story. <laughs> so I am, I am giving I you a read. slice of what I might do for my hero, but I did not write him a whole story, and okay. I'm not going to be sorry about it. You should not be sorry about it. You did a But I feel like shit and I didn't do no, the whole thing. Oh, God, no. We both, I just think Megan and I both don't work in education. We both had a little bit more time probably during the day. And I just got caught in like, I just had to. You don't yeah. need to, you don't need to apologize for, for doing a good job. You don't. <laughs> it was more honestly that I got carried away. Yeah. Like it was I that, just. That's- I just need to lay on the Jewish guilt as thick as I can do it before I go. Before it's working, my Catholic guilt is activated. (laughs) I have have no atheist guilt. (laughs) (laughs) My heathen guilt. You don't know. I was going to say, Jewish guilt does not come from any worry about what God's going to do to you. It's what it's what your mother might do, or something (laughs) like that. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm ready to hear yours. Okay. So. And let me just say, I also did not read Leah's or Megan's ahead of time. Otherwise, I would have scrambled and written more. But also, just to say that I have a cafe and barista in mine, and it is purely coincidental. Because um, there's a cafe and barista in every drama. Yeah, it was. It was either I was. It was juggling. It was either cafe or chicken shop, and I went with cafe. Right. That's all um, it is. Yes. <laughs> okay. So my drama is my love from the star, and. 
So Megan is going to be watching this one, but she hasn't watched it yet, but Leah has. So I'm doing my best also not to spoil too much of my love from the star because there are some twists and turns in this drama that I don't want to give away. So that's why I'm not going to go full on into the hero's background, but do as much as I can. So my character is Lee Hee Kyung, and he's played by actor Park Hae Jin. And so a little bit of background. In My Love from the Star, Hee Kyung has been in love with the female lead, Chun Sung Yi, played by Jun Ji Hyun, wonderfully, since middle school. Like literally he, you know, he met her in middle school and he's like, you're it for me ever since then. And every day since then, pretty much saying that he's going to marry her. And she's like, no, like every time, no, but he, he's relentless and in a sweet way and not a creepy like stalker way. But meanwhile, you say me, Song Yi's best girlfriend, played by Yu and Na, has been in love with Hee Kyung the whole time since middle school. So we've got not quite like a love triangle going on, but it's I don't what would you call this sort of a love circle because like everybody a love loves ladder? Yeah, somebody <laughs> a love ladder, except that the heroine doesn't love either of them. So So it'd be like, yeah, it just goes up and doesn't come. Yes. A circle would be like then. If it was a circle, then she would be in so, love right. with you in <laughs> Right, which she's not. She's not. Yeah, so it's just a really weird, messy yeah. love triangle full of unrequited love. Anyway, in the present day, Song Yi is in love with Do Min Jun, who is the alien played by the deliciously pillow-lipped Kim Soo Hyun, so rightfully so, right, that she would be in love with him. Mm-hmm. But rather than let our beautiful, sweet Hee Kyun fall or find love with one girl who has loved him all along... He instead gets a murderous sociopath of a brother to eventually tear his family apart. And he decides to stay by Song Yi's side, even if she'll only ever love him as a best friend. I can't say much about the murdering brother. It's a great side plot, though. I mean, I think I'm realizing that in my dramas, I love some murder happening. And I didn't know this until recently. And I'll talk about it more later when we talk about what dramas we're watching right now. But anyway, he knows that she loves the alien. She's never going to love him. And he's like, that's okay. I don't want to leave your side. So I love Hee Kyung and how his love for Song Yi is unwavering. But my poor dude, at the end of the drama, you are just going to settle for unrequited love, a fractured family, and an awkward friendship with the girl who does love you, but doesn't deserve you. So I'm okay that she didn't get you, but you deserve more. So here's what I'm thinking. I agree. Can I just say, I agree. Yes. Yes. Please it was do. a brutal, I mean, it was a brutal ending for this character. And okay. as much as I love you and Nod, like I loved her in Goblin and she's a great actress because I did not like her in this and not, not because of her acting, but because I did not like this character and she played her very well. And it's a complicated relationship for sure. So we'll talk about it when we do our deep dive. But here's what I'm thinking. He Kyung's family has been put through the ringer. And in order to save face, so here's where I'm I'm launching from the end here, where we've got our heroine is in love with the alien and she's happy with the alien. And I won't tell you how that all works out because it's weird. It'll be good to talk about when we get to our deep dive. So moving on. So from the end of My Love from the Star, He Kyung's family has been put through the ringer. In order to save face and rebuild their reputation, they arrange a suitable marriage for He Kyung. They're basically their only worthy son, you know, that they've got left now because their other one's a murderer. And And he agrees to it. And this is not a spoiler. You know that his older brother is a creepy, hot murderer, like from the beginning. So that's not not a big spoiler. So he wants to rebuild his family too. So he agrees. But on the day of the wedding, it all clicks. It's money and power and wanting to be the table that sent his young's murderous tendencies into high gear. And he basically wants no part of any of that. He realizes that he needs to break free from the pattern. Money has never brought him happiness anyway, even when it meant that he was able, and this did happen in My Love from the Star, even when it meant that he was able to provide a food truck and a place to sit at Song Yi's movie set when she was basically being shunned by the movie industry for reasons. And she still didn't love him like she should have, because as lovely as he was, in her eyes, he was no match for our pillow-lipped alien who can teleport and travel in a sweet flying saucer. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I suggest. Your parents set up this wedding for you. Give your parents your love, but tell them you need to do you to figure out who you are without the money and severely messed up brother situation because it's way worse than I'm letting on, but I'm trying not to spoil. And you'll find out when you watch. So He Kyung is a runaway groom, chucking it all and applying for the first job he can get without being a chairman's son. And that's going to be a barista at a small privately owned coffee shop in Jinhegu, a district in Chengwon, South Korea, a port city an hour outside Ooh, of Busan. I like like and kind of a, a reason- littler town out of the big city. Yes. 
and, and there's that. a reason there's a reason why i chose this this city specifically for the cherry blossom festival that they Aww. have okay yes because we i need cherry blossoms in my drama i found this on the web <laughs> my watch just my watch just thought I was asking him to find something. So he just <laughs> told me he found something about a cherry blossom festival. So Thanks, that was buddy. pretty funny. Okay. So applying for the first job you can find in this, you know, smaller town outside of Busan. He is terrible at the job and irritates his boss to no end. But his boss is, of course, a young, beautiful woman. Her name is Sujin, who, unbeknownst to him, can't actually pay him because she's on the verge of losing her business to loan sharks. So instead, when she realizes he's staying at a local sauna, she offers him an unused room on the top floor of the small house she inherited from their parents when they died. So we got a little so we got a little fish out of water trope here too. We do. I adore. I adore. Okay, yes. cool. So all he Kyung wanted was to figure out his own life, but now he's sharing a living space with a woman who he finds out has her own challenges to face and might be able to teach him a thing or two about surviving when things get rough. So romance will first bloom at the Jinhae, um, let's see if I can even say it, Gunhungje Festival, which is the Cherry Blossom Festival in the spring. And this is a real thing that happens, and I want to go to this. And they will be there to try and sell some coffee to some of the festival goers, but they will find themselves on the run from the loan sharks who <laughs> catch up with them at in the festival streets. Yes. And Right as they are about to be caught in the loan shark's clutches, the heroine will wrap her arms around Hee Kyung and mysteriously teleport them to the safety of a nearby arcade. Because, spoiler alert, she is an alien. But here's but here's the twist. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like choking. Here, here's the twist. She doesn't know it, or at least doesn't remember it. She just thinks she has this ability to teleport. But our hero knows more because he has met an alien who can do this. So she actually doesn't remember much other than waking up in an ER a couple of years ago, not knowing how or why she was hurt because she felt fine. Because as you all know about aliens, they can heal really quickly. So she rips out her IV in K-drama fashion and sneaks out of the ER after reading her chart, which basically says that she's an orphan from parents who died. So that's all she really knows or thinks she knows about herself. When she teleports them to safety, so we're going back to the teleporting, they end up in an arcade because... We have to end up in an arcade at some point in this K-drama. And they have a lovely sort of date in the arcade. But the whole time, he Kyung knows what she is and realizes that he's falling for this woman. But that if she comes from Minjun's planet, that she can't survive on Earth forever. That doesn't stop them from having a truly adorable arcade date. One where he wins her, wait for it, an alien stuffy from the claw machine. <laughs> like in Toy Story? <laughs> yep. One-eyed alien. One-eyed alien. Yep. So will he help her regain her memories and help her get back home? Or will he take the easy way out once he realizes this, protect his heart and go back to his family and grovel for his almost bride's forgiveness and forget he ever met her? But here's where we're going to get some twists. And here's what I have not written all the way to the end, but here's where my, my villain twists are going to come in. So the Lone Sharks are like the kind of silly villains, right? They're trying to track her down. And we're also going to have Hee Kyung's father be a sort of unintentional villain here because his family is devastated about his brother being a murderer. I mean, who wouldn't be? But they are also, you know, he's also a chairman who has a reputation to uphold. So when his son becomes a runaway groom, he, of course, is going to keep tabs on him with, you know, one of his little lackeys who's going to, as as happens with all you know, chairman sons, somebody follows them around and takes pictures of them and the woman that they're hanging out with. And so he's going to find out about Su Jin and Su Jin's abilities and figure that he can somehow use her as his meal ticket back to the top from his fall from grace as a chairman because he's right now a chairman father to a murderous son. And so the father's going to inadvertently sort of mm. become the villain. What still remains to be seen and what we, little spoiler alert for My Love from the Star, we don't get to see the alien planet in My Love from the Star. And so I would like to possibly bring that into this because really what we've got here is he Kyung is trying to escape his microcosm of a world which has ruined his family and i kind of think that he needs to go to a whole new world and yes. find happiness there he's gonna go to the alien so, planet that's what i'm yes. thinking that's what i'm thinking so tropes forced proximity dethroned voluntarily chabel forbidden romance ticking clock because he knows that her time is limited claw game cherry blossoms 
what what have you cliches yeah. i've got we've got some amnesia because she doesn't know who or what she is truly her memory only goes back a couple of years a chable pretending to be poor class differences two different worlds literally and at some point i would like this to sort of turn into a faded mates but i haven't figured that out yet but yes it's another alien romance and uh, I, I think it. this alien romance has to go to the alien planet so even though i did not write the complete story like you two did I'm excited about this for him. I, I'm excited about his journey and finding happiness with the alien of his dreams. So here is my it. one question that I have that I'm not sure if you can help me with, but this is what I'm trying to reconcile is if he goes to the alien planet, do his parents like, will he be able to teleport back now and again? Cause otherwise like they have no more kids. So is he just kind of like over it? Well, I don't, Okay, I don't want to talk about that because I don't want to spoil stuff from the actual okay. movie. <laughs> I mean, the actual drama, I'm sorry. I do not see him leaving his family forever and ever. I feel like, you know, because you brought this up when we were watching My Love from the Star, that they just kind of go with him being an alien. And that's about yeah, all. No, they really, all do. Get, they really do. Right? And so I would like to dive deeper into this planet and the abilities of people on this planet and what would happen if somebody from Earth went to this planet. So yeah, I do think things will be a little bit different. And I'm not suggesting that he abandon his family for the rest of time. Not at all. There will be a reconciliation. There will be. Maybe well, they go with him. Maybe they go with. Maybe they need to escape this world too. I really like that you're taking us to the alien planet, which we get zero context of the entire uh, drama. But you know, it's probably just going to be like soul. <laughs> it's just alien soul. <laughs> Where they just all they dress in black. They all dress in black and they can float. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely have to do just random flips in the air for no reason. Slow-mo. Slow-mo flips in the air. Yes. So, yeah. So, I haven't – obviously, I haven't ironed it all out. But I do – yeah. I want it – I want some alien planet time for, for I, I love show. that. I think that would be so cool. And it would be a cool twist to, like, maybe – well, I mean, you said you want to reckless – but it would still kind of be, like, a reverse of the first one. You know what I mean? Yeah, a reverse of the first one. And like I said, his parents aren't bad. Like, I feel terrible for what happens to them. And I'm not I'm not even getting into all of it. Like, Megan, you'll see when you watch. It's way, it's way worse than I'm letting on. Right. I'm, I'm excited. Know? Yeah. It's way worse. But but on the same token, people in those positions, in K-dramas, I'm not saying necessarily in real life because I don't know real life in, in South Korea, but people in K-dramas who are chairmans, chables, whatever, they are motivated by money and power. That sort of seems to come, money, power, reputation seems to come before all else. And so even though his parents are devastated, they also need to save face. And so this is their chance to do it. Or is it their chance to basically escape this life that has oppressed them into this, you know, small little definition of what they can be and be something freer on another planet where they can float? <laughs> I really, I also want to just say, I appreciate so much the twist that she is an alien and not just an alien, but an amnesiatic and alien. I love <laughs> yes. it. I love it. Like how, like, that's fantastic. And he knows she's an alien, but she mm. doesn't. I love it. I love the twist that she's an alien. A and plus. doesn't know it. A plus. An alien who doesn't know yeah. it. All right. Well, this so, was really fun. I really liked doing this little exercise with you all. I feel like I just binge watched, you know, three K-dramas. I, I want to do it again. This was really fun. Next time I want a handout with specific directions. <laughs> you know what, we Amy, promise. for all... I want a word count link. And, for all your yeah. finger waving, you rocked it. So I feel like, you know what? You just Thanks. do you and you're going to be just fine. <laughs> Something I'm thinking maybe yeah. for next time we do this is I think it'd be really fun to do an ending that we would love to rewrite. Yes. Oh, I would totally love to do that. Yeah, that could be a good one. I agree. 100%. Okay. I call King. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, poof. okay, so let's just talk about what are some romance novels where a second male lead stole your heart? What's something you can recommend to listeners? I have to go kind of serious here because like we were mm -hmm. talking, like second male leads often in novels end up becoming their own leads. And so I'm going not only with a young adult series, but a fantasy one. And it starts out with the Grishaverse trilogy by Lee Bardugo, which is Shadow and Bone, Siege and Storm, Rune and Rising. And Nikolai Lansoff is a character in who comes in book two, and he's in for book two and three. There is like talking of love triangles here. We've got one main heroine throughout these books and three, three, count them, three men 
who want to be with her. And Nikolai is one of them. And you know that Nikolai is not right for her throughout all three of these books, and you're kind of okay with how it ends up. But his fate at the end of book three is something like happens to him bad, and he turns out okay, but we know that there are sort of lingering effects of this bad thing that happened to him. And he shows up for a blip then in the duology or duet that comes after, which is Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom. And all five of these books that I'm talking about right now are going to be the Shadow and Bone TV series on Netflix. It's coming out the end of this month, by the way, the end of April. Still love that character. He never got any sort of happy ending. And now there is a new duet of books, King of Scars, that's him, King of Scars and Rule of Wolves, which just came out last week. And so I have not read the second book yet, but they are developing a romance for him in the first book, which I am so there for and so excited for. And I hope that it comes to real fruition in book two, which is going to conclude these one, two, three, four, five, seven books so far that are all sort of intertwined. But they're amazing. If you like fantasy, this is a great stack of books to add to your list. I really like the the whole Grisha verse, but I will say and out myself as Team Darkling for anyone who has read the books. I'm all in. And with Ben Barnes playing <sighs> I know it's that gonna... character. I know. Seriously. It's gonna but I will say without giving too many spoilers, if you're a Darkling fan, you should keep up with really the series. Okay. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. Good like stuff that you know stuff I happens. need. Stuff. Well, yeah, I will say I haven't read book two yet. My daughter is reading book two before me now. But yeah, and we're talking book two all the way down, like I'm in King of Scars and Rule of Wolves. Like that's where things start getting real again. But yeah, so that's Lee Bardugo, and it's all her Grishaverse books. And Nikolai Lansoff is the character, and I absolutely adore him and need him to get some romantic happily ever after. And I hope he does. Okay, so the book I'm going to recommend is Her Forbidden Hero by Laura Kay. So I like a lot of Laura Kay's books. I might have done this assignment slightly wrong because it was that <laughs> it was more like the, it was more the second male leads book that I really liked. Like the second. Well, and I have to explain the second male lead. He doesn't like pining for the heroine and her forbidden hero because he's the heroine's brother. I'm always a sucker for brother, like older brother drama. Like, I don't know why. I just love like that trope, I guess I would say. So in Her Forbidden Hero, the older brother of the heroine, his name is Brady. He's overseas serving his country and his best friend comes back early, meets up with Alyssa, the heroine, which is Brady's sister. And, you know, things happen. And the the interesting thing is Brady doesn't show up to like the very end of the book, but he's a main character in the book the entire time. Like she makes him a full, well-rounded character just based on Alyssa's and Marco's memories of him and just talking about him. Like he's a the third character in the entire book without him even being present. And so you like care you care about him because the characters, they both love him and they both care about him very much. So by the time he shows up at the end and is like, Oh, you're with my sister, but it's a good resolution. It's not as cliche as you think. And then the best part is his book because he's you know, no one really writes military like Laura Kay, in my opinion. I think she just does excellent military books uh, or heroes, military heroes. His book is very cool. I love the heroine they paired him up with. She's like a neighbor and they have a lot of like banter. It's almost like enemies to lovers, but she gives him a super great HEA. Like his book is fantastic. And his book is called One Night with a Hero. So I recommend the whole series. It's, All right. What's well, just the two books, but it's a lot of fun. And Laura Kay writes really sexy, really smart and depth cool thank you awesome i also wanted to talk about a second male lead who's hyped up over a series and the series is called spindle cove and that's a historical romance by author tessa dare and i think i'm gonna just read the blurb on this because i feel like you get a really good sense of the tropes and so it's a temporary engagement a lifetime in the making after years of fending for herself kate taylor found friendship and acceptance in spindle cove but she never stopped yearning for love the very last place she'd look for it is in the arms of Corporal Thorne, a militia commander who's as stone cold as he is brutally handsome. But when mysterious strangers come searching for Kate, Thorne steps forward as her fiance. He claims to have only Kate's safety in his mind. So why is there so much smoldering passion in his kiss? Long ago, Samuel Thorne devoted his life to guarding Kate's happiness. He wants what's best for her, and he knows it's not marriage to a man like him. To outlast their temporary engagement, he must keep his hands off her tempting body and lock her warm smiles out of his withered heart. It's the toughest battle of this hardened warrior's life, and the first he seems destined to lose. 
So the convention for Spindle Cove is it's a safe haven for women during the regency of a town where they can just go be away from men and convention and kind of live their best lives. And of course, in book one, a military command like moves into town. So there's all these military men and then all these really eccentric, awesome, independent women. And Corporal Thorne is built up over the series as just this very grim and cold, you know, guy that, you know, you're just like dying for him to, you know, who doesn't love when those guys crack? So yeah, I just, and so it turns out that he's he's like forever been like guarding this piano teacher's (laughs) life. Yeah. And so it's just like this build up and then it's just really sweet, you know, like finally he's like this little like marshmallow bear and it's got fake, you know, fake dating and stuff. So I just love it. So what's everybody watching? So I just finished I'm Not a Robot, which you both had already finished last time we talked, and I loved it just as much as you did, and I cannot wait to deep dive it. <laughs> so much fun. So we won't. I won't say too much about it now because I know you've both mentioned about it, and I don't want to give too much away because it's so, so super fun, and I'm so in love with the entire cast and every side story and just literally everything about it. And then another one that we're going to deep dive that Megan has gushed about before is Suspicious Partner, and I just started that. And what I was telling Megan and Leah when we first started the podcast today is that I think I'm realizing that I like a good murder plot to go along with my romance, which I think Leah brought up when she was talking about her love for When the Camellia Blooms. And yeah, I just... What a great little side plot. And I know that I'm only in the beginning of Suspicious Partner right now. Things are just kind of getting going. But yeah, you've got a heroine who is accused of murder and a prosecutor who is supposed to prosecute her. And they're the lead romance. So I don't know where this is going to go. Yeah, and she's his former intern. Yes. And the murder plot is a huge part. I mean, that doesn't give like it's it's and I think it unfolds really freaking cool and unique so i'm excited i'm really excited because i have no idea what happened like yeah you, you, it's like it's one of those things like it's almost like watching memento like where you go back and you're getting like little blips of what happened and trying to piece it together and it's pretty cool so far it's very true and i think it's cool how they give everything away so enjoy i loved it i miss I, I did i missed that show when it was over i really liked it and i thought the lead romance was done really well so i'm again still in a little bit of a hiatus which is so weird to hear i know uh <laughs> so again i'm selling my house uh yesterday we had 18 showings in one day no that's not a misspeak that is accurate the housing market is i know that that's not what our podcast is about but maybe go listen to a podcast on the housing market because it's literal insanity here in america but that's not the point so it's just i've been a little busy yay. i mean we're under contract now so yay it's okay but yeah yay. and uh, i'm finished i have to finish writing a book this week and then i start king the internal monarch so i'm very very excited like I'm, I'm very eager to watch it i'm just trying to wait until i this house stuff is mostly done and i can finish my book I'm literally on the edge of my seat for your reaction to Lee Min Ho. I know. (laughs) I'm really excited. Um, I'm already like super into Wu Do Do Huan. So like I would have his baby. He's he and you will. He is the best. The best second male lead ever. I'm so excited. So the best second male lead twice because he's he's a doppelganger. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what's going on with me. I'll be into it. I've just been kind of like more watching like random K-pop idol stuff, which always makes me happy. That's what I've been doing. I just finished Run On, which I know we're going to be talking about next week. So I'm not going to get into that too much. And so I decided to just have a little bit of a palate cleanser and try something different. And so I, I've got it. I'm going to finish it tonight. It's a two part drama. They're both two hour long episodes. So very short. And it's called Splash Splash Love. And it's a historical, but it has a lot of Mr. Queen, not a lot of Mr. Queen vibes, but some Mr. Queen vibes in that it's about a modern day senior high school student. And she struggles at math. She struggles a bit academically. And as we've learned in drama, there's a lot of pressure to pass your exams to get to college. And a lot where her mom's like, if you don't pass this, like, basically your life is over. And she's like walking up to take the class or to take the test. There's people People, you know, singing and chanting and cheering and waving signs in front of the school that's like, do well or your life is over. And she kind of chokes and she ends up running away and she sits in a park in the rain and is like, look, I just want to escape and like talks to the sky. And then she gets this urge to jump in a mud puddle. And when she jumps in the mud puddle, the mud puddle just keeps going. 
and she goes back into the Joseon dynasty and pops up in the middle of uh, like a what? pot. <laughs> like I didn't expect that. In the middle of, I believe it looks like the same set from Mr. Queen. So I need to figure out like, this must just be a famous landmark and they shoot things there. And there is a handsome young king and they're in the middle of trying to do a water right because there's been a drought for three years. And the king is fairly scientific and doesn't believe that a lot of these like mumbo jumbo things are going to work. But then this human pops out of this hole and she says she's a high school student and there's something with that translation that sounds like the word eunuch. So they believe she's a eunuch and they basically like (laughs) whack her into eunuch clothes and she becomes the king's like BFF tutor because even though she's bad at math in this world, he isn't aware of like the Arabic number system. So she's like literally like one plus one is two kind of stuff and is like you know, kind of a genius. And so that was basically the premise of the first episode where by the end, he's catching feelings. She looks nothing like a dude, but he thinks he's like falling for a eunuch. And he has a wife who is trying to like get with him to have a baby. And that's it. Yeah. But it's really cute and fun. And it's just two episodes. So two hours. It sounds super fun. Yeah, I, I'm super. Uh, that sounds fun. I did want to tell you there is a gay romance, a, a gay historical drama coming up. And basically, I I might get the specific details wrong, so forgive me. But generally, the idea is the king needs to get married. Something happens to the bride. Either she, like, disappears or runs away or something, but they have to, like, have the wedding. So he gets, like, one of his friends to pretend to be the bride. And so he steps in, pretends to be a woman. And so they, like, get married. But then, obviously, like, they're in this fake relationship that turns real. So, yeah, I thought that that sounded like a really badass premise. And I like that. Like, I really, like, if you're going to give me, like, gay romance, like, give me as good as plots as you do, you know, straight romances. Like, give me good plots. Like, that's a really cool premise, in my opinion. So I'll have to let you know. I saw some of the stills, and it looks really awesome. Nice. So, yeah, I'll let you know when that comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited I, for that I'll, I'll watch that, that really you. good. And I know Law School yeah. is coming out soon, which is yeah. the Kim Bum. That's next week. And then I think it's <gasps> Seobot yes. with Park Bo Gum and Gong Yu. Yeah, that already that already came out, I think, in December, like in Korea. Like I thought it was supposed to come out in December or something like that. I could be wrong, but I thought I heard – I thought it like released, but it wasn't here yet. Or I – maybe I, one? I could be mis- misremembering. No, that's the one where he is – isn't Park Bo Something Gum, like uh, that. Yeah, it's not the silent, he's trying to it's save? not the silent C, which oh, is okay. the Netflix. Yeah. Film. Yeah. And and I could totally be misremembering the release date, but I thought I that I read it released, just released but not here yet, but I could totally hear you. I'm going to just check really fast and give us all oh, then um, I'm... a quick okay. update on this that we can, you know, edit to make faster. <laughs> Gong Yu is terminally ill and he is like racing against time to save this and the clone, clone has the secret for eternal like, life and the release whatever. date for it is going to be in south korea on april 15th and we do not have amy you were correct it was originally scheduled for a release december 2020 but no you were not but covid oh, cases okay so i was um, not making the release that date awesome. to be um postponed okay i did also see the dear oh, yeah. m the like high school drama or maybe it's college i think it might be high school because it was postponed because of like a controversy with the main actress but it will supposed to air now in april and i'm mostly mentioning it because i think your daughter yeah i think so she's watching um i am not a robot right now actually so dreamy god i cannot i'm just so glad that you guys i like i said if you didn't like it it, i would have i mean i would have cried myself to sleep but like it would have been okay it's just i i almost feel like i i needed to be validated like i really needed to know i wasn't crazy for thinking that it was pretty genius so i cannot wait like we're, we're all really excited to talk about i'm not a robot and we decided yes. it's kind of like our mission on this podcast to make people watch it and you won't you won't be sorry if you do no so okay well then i guess we'll talk about ronald next week all right and what do we say that's it Kamsamida. Thank you for listening to Afternoon Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong! Annyeong!